Keep going. Hey, hello. hello. Welcome to Bible study. Good to see everybody tonight. Glad you're here. Thanks for coming. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, pretty excited. So I'm going to get started. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time and for Him to lead us and guide us. Father, thanks for uh, Your Holy Spirit. And we thank You for His work. We thank You for his care over us, and we thank you for his various functions in our life. Tonight we ask for your anointing, uh, for the teaching of your word, for the receiving of your word, that God, we would take hold of what you say tonight, and I pray a direct application into our hearts, into our lives. God, uh, take the ideas, take the concepts, take the, the truth, and I pray, Father, that it would be applied to something something very specific, something, uh, an area of need, an area of want in our lives, God. I pray that you would apply your word directly to an area tonight. Father, we ask that you would lead us. We ask that you would speak, and I pray, God, that we would hear what you have to say. If we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, we're going to look into the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We're going nothing fancy tonight. This is a very uh, bare bones kind of meat and potato. Wait, that's two different things. It's a basic Bible study from. <laughs> meat and potatoes is very fitting. Yeah. But you know what you have after you finish the meat? Bare bones. Bare bones. Yeah. yeah. Well, somehow it works out. John chapter 1. Sometimes I confuse even myself. It happens. The best way to start. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I volunteer to read that nice and loudly for us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was light, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. All right, thank you. All right, there's an astounding, a few astounding statements in those verses. I want you to think about some of the things that that says there. Uh, because they're statements that people like to argue about. They just really like to argue about things, I guess. But some of the statements made in these verses are pretty astounding. Pretty amazing, and uh, they say a lot about what we believe. They say a lot about how we see Jesus and how we understand Him, uh, where He came from, and they they paint a much larger picture of who He is. Uh, we generally in the Gospels have a fairly limited understanding of Jesus that covers His physical life. At that time that He, when He was born, we'll be celebrating that. At Christmas time, and uh, it covers th from that time, maybe a little bit before that, until a few day, few months after his death, and that's about it. That's what the Gospels cover. But John is a little bit more theological in its scope. It was written later than the other Gospels, and it has some other purposes that the other Gospels didn't have. The other Gospels were mainly uh, accounts, 
They were mainly, they tell the story. They were eyewitness or our next two eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. And they are basically getting his story out. They're getting his teachings out. They're getting out the miracles that he did, some of the signs and the wonders. John was a little bit different in that it came around a little bit later. And so the basic story was likely already known. And so one of the purposes John was trying to do here is he wanted to put some kind of context to it, and he also wanted to begin to put a theology to it. And I'm not saying the other Gospels don't do that, because they do to a certain extent, but John takes that a little bit further, a lot further. And so when you read things in John, there's probably something else or something more that he's saying than what you're reading in the other Gospels. There's probably a reason why you'll read things in John that don't appear in the other Gospels. You'll read things in John where things are elaborated on or other things are just skipped in his Gospel. And so as you're reading it, you kind of keep that in mind. I can remember back when I first became a Christian, when you became a Christian, everybody said, well, where do you start in the Bible? Start reading the Gospel of John. And I can remember doing that as a, as a young Christian. I was reading the Gospel of John. I couldn't understand it. Because there's, there's words in it that seem to go in every direction in my head. Especially the, in the old King James Version, because that's the Bible I had. And so I'd be reading it, and I couldn't understand it. And so I went to a different Gospel. I think I went to Mark or something. Because I mentioned to a guy, I said, Hey, I'm having trouble reading John. Is there somewhere else I can start? I said, Yeah, just start with Mark. And I read Mark, and it made perfect sense. It was a simple story about Jesus. It told his history. It told it was a biography. It told about his teachings. Said how you know how he lived and all the rest of that stuff. It told, talked about the disciples. It talked about the miracles, signs, wonders. It talked about the death, the resurrection, all that kind of stuff. Everything was in there, and it was simply put, and it was in a chronological order in a way that I could understand it. Now, I didn't notice at the time, but Mark was and is a simple accounting of the life of Jesus. It was one of the earliest of the Gospels. And so you go from that to John, and you begin to see some of these concepts. You begin to see some of these bigger ideas, these bigger understandings, that Jesus wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just the leader of a movement. He wasn't just someone, some guy that was killed by the Romans. He wasn't just someone that the Pharisees couldn't stand. He wasn't just whatever it is that we want to put on him. That he wasn't just the son of Mary and Joseph. He wasn't just the brother of his other siblings. But he was something more than that. And he is something more than that. And John helps us to see that. So as we're reading John 1, 1, you see just a huge introduction, a huge statement, a series of statements being made about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Big statements. So here's a few of the astounding statements in here. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Well, when's the beginning? Do we know? When do we first see God? 
And what does it say in Genesis 1-1? In the beginning. In the beginning. Okay, God created the heavens and the earth. So to us, if we have to look back at something in our brains, when was the beginning? Well, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now when was that? I don't know. We don't know. We don't know what year that took place in. We don't know how long ago it was. We don't know the, the number of years in between then and now. We don't have any idea. It was just in the beginning. So in the beginning, God. That's all we really know. So God was there in the beginning. So our theology begins with that. What's theology? The study of God. Our study of God begins with that first statement, in the beginning, God. So whenever you want to think of the beginning is, or you want to think of what that is in the beginning, it's God. So the astounding statement in John 1 is that Jesus was with God in the beginning. But what do we know Him as? What does it say there in John chapter 1 and verse 1? The Word. The Word. So Jesus, he, he was named Jesus and when He was born. But before that, He was known as the Word. So in the beginning was the Word. Or in the beginning, God. So in the beginning, Jesus was with God, or the Word was with God. He was and He is God. That's an astounding statement. He's the one through whom all things were made. That's another astounding statement. The Word is the one through whom all things were made. You go to Genesis 1, and in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did He create the heavens and the earth? He spoke. By His Word. Right? By His Word. So, so you see the series of things that takes place there. It says, and God said, let there be light. And God said. Yeah, and, and that's the series. That's how the creation took place. Was a series of God speaking. He spoke His, he was speaking His Word. Well, it, it makes sense that it was by and through His Word all things were made. We see that practically taking place in Genesis 1. Somebody look at Colossians 1.16. All things were created by Him. He created everything in heaven and on earth. He created everything that can be seen and everything that can't be seen. He created kings, powers, rulers, and authorities. Everything was created by Him and for Him. Alright, a couple things from those verses. Uh, you see the same idea here, right? Now, this is a different person writing this, though. John, the Gospel of John is written by... Any, anybody want to guess? John is correct. John is correct. Now the epistle to the Colossians was written by Paul. And, and so you have two different people. But they're expressing the same idea. 
Can you see that? Different words, a little bit different words going on here, but you see the same idea being expressed by both of them. You see John expressing this in the beginning, the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him. Nothing has been made that was made without Him. Life was in Him. And that life was the light of all people. Then you go to Colossians 1.16, and you see He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. And it was through Him all things were made by Him. And there's something really key, the next part of that. What's the last thing it says there? They were made by Him and all things were made... For him. For him. So why was why were all things made? Why was why do we have the heavens and the earth? Why do we have the earth and everything that we see? Why? For him. For Jesus. Now we want to make something else up. We do. We want it, we want it, we want to make it about who we want to make it about? Us. Us. We always want to make it about us. Why was the earth made? Well, it was for us. And I've heard guys preach this stuff. It's like, well, well, God was lonely. And so he, he wanted to make man so he wouldn't be lonely anymore. And so he made earth so that a man would have a place to live. And so God could live with man and man on the earth. And he wouldn't be lonely anymore. It's such a great love story, but it's just not true. All right? It's just not true. Why did he make us? For Jesus. <laughs> I mean, why? I don't know. It wasn't because he's lonely. Yeah, everything was made for him and through him, and we're made for him. We're made for him. The earth is made for him. Everything's made for him. And that's the whole point that we lose track of when we make it about ourselves. We want to make ourselves the answer to God's need. Well, God doesn't have any need. Then we want to make ourselves the answer to God's desire. But we don't even know that. You know, obviously He wanted to make us, so He did. But for what other purpose do we... We don't know. For Jesus. That's what we do know. And anything else we're trying to come up with, anything else we're trying to validate ourselves with, we're just making it up. And there's something wrong about making stuff up about God. It's just impossible. It's impossible. What, are you going to guess it? How many times does he do things that you would have never guessed? Like all the time? I mean, yeah, he, well, he does. And even things that he's revealed to us, even things that he's shown us, even things from his word that are clearly written, we don't even grab hold of. Because it doesn't fit into our paradigm or it doesn't fit into the way we want to see things. It doesn't fit into how we were taught or it doesn't fit into something somebody told us one time. And so we ignore it. Dismiss it. Overlook it. I mean, you ever think about that you were made for Jesus? You ever think about the whole world was made for Jesus? Everything? Everything you're looking at? I mean, it's kind of hard to understand that for us. And yet, there it is. Made by Him and through Him, and for Him. For Him. What was made. You don't see that in just one spot. You see that in at least two spots in the New Testament. Once in a Gospel and once in an Epistle. 
That's kind of the gold standard right there. When you begin to see stuff like that in the New Testament, when you see it in a gospel and you see it in an epistle, you got a gold standard of something right there that we probably should grab hold of and something that we should probably believe. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to you know, take a, a whole teaching out of Jesus wept here and making something up for you tonight. This is something I think is pretty clear. But we do need to grab hold of it in our, in our hearts, in our spirits, and in our minds. We need to grab hold of it somehow. You're made for Jesus. So if your created purpose is for Jesus, what's going to be your highest calling in life? It's going to be Jesus. What's going to be your highest function that you can possibly function in in life? It's Jesus. Because that's what you were made for. That's what you were created for. And that's true of all of creation. All of creation's highest functions, all of their most redeeming moments have to do with Jesus. Because that's what all of creation was made for. It was made for Him. And so if we're talking about redeeming whatever portion of creation you want to talk about, it doesn't matter what portion you want to talk about. You want to talk about redeeming trees? You want to talk about redeeming uh, precious metals? You want to talk about redeeming rocks and making prison shivs out of them? Or whatever you're redeeming. <laughs> I'm watching you, man. <laughs> Saw that thing come out. Yeah. Right. Start the dust when you're done. But all of it finds its highest moment in Jesus. It's its highest moment. And 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 I know that's not popular. I know that I should have some bigger vision for Mother Earth than that, than just Jesus. But I don't. I don't. And I, there, there's no, and, and however that plays out, however, whatever that looks like, as things are being redeemed on the earth, as things are being redeemed in our lives, as things are being redeemed in the things around us, whatever that looks like, it needs to somehow get us to Jesus. Because that's what we were created for. It has to get to Jesus somehow. That those, those things that we, those other things that we uphold, they may be a step or whatever, or they may not. They may be a total distraction. But somehow we've got to get it back to Jesus. Somehow. I mean, if cutting down a tree helps me reach people for Jesus Christ, totally worth it. I'm not saying it will, I'm just saying if it did. And whatever else I can think of. Not to pick on trees or anything. But our time, our efforts, our vision, our purpose, our plan, our one-year plan, our five-year plan, our ten-year plan, our retirement plan, We were created for Him. For Him. And I think we need to keep that in focus. This isn't just a New Testament concept either. 
And when you look in the Old Testament, and you see a certain unity implied when it comes to God. Genesis 1.26. And I know you've all read this before, and people really work hard to explain this away. Our intern took a course that helped explain this away a little bit. Not exactly explain it away, but helped to build understanding in the use of language. Genesis 1.26 says, Let us make man in our image. You ever notice that's plural? It's plural. And what's funny about it being plural is that the words they're using to describe the words, the, the pronouns, are plural, but the verbs are singular. And it's kind of an interesting thought process there is that you have a plural pronoun and yet the action portion of it is singular. And what's being implied there is a certain unity. What's being implied there is that there's a certain community to that. Now, Jesus talked about this in the Gospels. He said, I and the Father are, you remember? One. Now it's kind of interesting when you name off two people and you're one. But he, that's what he said. And I think uh, we need to allow our minds sometimes to take in ideas and concepts that aren't necessarily within our grasp. In other words, just because we can't do something doesn't mean it's impossible. Right? I mean, who would have thought certain things were possible? A hundred years ago, or two hundred years ago, or five hundred years ago. And it wasn't within the grasp of man for them to be, even be able to do those things. And yet, I'm sure that there were people who allowed themselves to think of those things. I'm a fan of science fiction, and I, I read a lot of H.G. Wells growing up. And there were certain things that H.G. Wells wrote about in his books that were impossible for people to do. And yet he thought of them. Or Edgar Rice Burroughs, when he wrote about uh, the... What was the name of that? Martian Chronicles. John Carter. Well, the John Carter Chronicles. But, but, but even like C.S. Lewis... And you look at some of the, the people that wrote some science... C.S. Lewis wrote a series on science fiction books. Edgar Rice Burroughs with the John Carter books. These things were impossible. And some of them are still impossible. And yet, and yet they thought of them. Somehow. Somehow. And I know I've told this story before, but in my lifetime... And people that I knew, my great-grandmother was born in the 1800s. And she watched me every weekend. I mean, I knew her, and I talked to her, and she, you know, she was part of my life growing up. But she was born before there were any automobiles. So there were horses and buggies. When she was born growing up as a child, she grew up with horses and buggies and walking before she died in the 1980s. She saw man. She saw airplanes developed, cars, airplanes, jet planes, and she saw men walk on the moon in her lifetime. 
And then the advent, the beginning of computers and all that kind of stuff. In one lifetime. Yeah, my great grandmother too. 1898 to 1999. She and who, who would have thought of that? Right. And so I think sometimes my point is this. We read something in the scriptures that at first glance it doesn't make any sense. Well, why doesn't it make any sense? Because it's not part of our experience yet. In other words, we don't know how to do this. Or we haven't experienced this yet. And so we either ignore it or dismiss it instead of saying, well, maybe, maybe we can allow our minds to receive this. Maybe we can allow our spirits to receive this. Maybe God can take this and make it real to us in such a way that maybe we haven't experienced it yet. But if what we're reading in the Scriptures is true, we're going to experience it one day. We're going to experience it. And I think of it sometimes like those people that had the vision forward that even though there were things they hadn't experienced yet, things they haven't seen yet, they, they still thought of those things in their minds like that man could travel into outer space or that man could travel at the speed of sound or that, that man could fly or whatever that is, whatever those concepts were, all those thoughts were. Leonardo da Vinci just designing flying machines. But his mind went there. That our minds can go there with God. And he gives us these concepts. He gives us these ideas. And they're, they're written out. And we see examples or, or we hear different things. that our minds could somehow go there. Because even if we can't see it now, we'll see it someday. And it may not be that we're going to accomplish that, but God already has. And that revelation should not be dismissed because we haven't got there yet. That revelation should not be ignored, should not be overlooked because we haven't experienced it yet. But allow that revelation to get into us. Allow that revelation to take some root in our hearts and in our minds so that, that we can begin to look forward more. To look up from today and begin to look out and look forward more to something that is coming. We just can't see it all yet. Now, people I've met that are able to do that, that kind of heaven, that kind of spirituality, that kind of, uh, of God begins to really infiltrate their daily lives as their minds begin to open up to more of God and more of His ways and more of His revelation and more of what, what He wants us to see. Because it's really beyond what we're experiencing right now. I think we could be living in so much more. I mean, just tonight, if, if you think about, you know, if you get a hold of that revelation... That everything was made for Jesus. And you might have heard that before. Or maybe some of you are like, why is he hammering on this? Because I guarantee you half this room had never thought of that. Alright? Tell me in that yeah, I'm going to say that. Because it seems like that that's really a weird concept. And yet it's a really clear concept. But it's weird to us. But even if we just take hold of that, that is Revelation. That's what it is. 
And we may have never thought about it. We've never pondered what that means to me or my life or what it means to the decisions I'm making or how I'm looking toward the future. But maybe it should have something to do with that. And maybe it should affect some of those things. So let that sink in. Or we begin to let sink in that there can be a, a, a community with a singularity of action. Because we see that in the Godhead. We see that in the Father and the Son. In the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, we see that in the creative process. That there can be a community with a single verb. A single action. This community created a singular thing. The heavens and the earth. I mean, people argue about the Trinity. Why? Because they can't understand it. Because they don't live like that. They don't live like that. I think it's a way for them to put down another person's theology, too. It could. But, I mean, I've met Christians that argue about it. Yeah, they just... They, they, because they can't somehow grab hold of it in their finite mind. Why? Because it's not part of their experience base. Now this is going to sound like a weird thing. I'm going to say it and take it or leave it. If you chew on it and there's a bone in it, just throw it out, okay? <laughs> but a lot of the guys I've ever met arguing about the Trinity, and, and this, is going to, this is a broad sweeping statement that can be easily, you know, so there's got to be a counterpoint to this, but this is my experience. This is what I've seen. Guys who want to argue with me about the Trinity have trouble with interpersonal relationships themselves. And are usually lonely dudes with lonely lives and not a lot of close friends. You know, I've never had an argument with somebody about the Trinity that's involved in a living, vibrant community of people. Not really. Because they either just don't care or it just makes sense. In other words, when I, when I say that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit dwell in such a community that they're one, okay. So they have a singleness of purpose, yeah. And so when they do something, they do it together, but it's a singleness of action that they're moving forward in. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, I don't know why that would become such a hard concept when we have nations. Yeah. And nations do things and accomplish things by people all coming together with singularity of purpose and doing things like the Great Wall of China. The Great Wall of China, or uh, winning the Second World War. Right? That wasn't done by one person. That was a whole nation coming together and did it. Certainly. I mean, if people can grab onto that concept, why they have a difficulty with the Trinity? Well, certainly. I mean, even even ideas like businesses that are started. They're started by partners. They're started by you know people that, that work together. They have a singleness of vision, a singleness of purpose. Yeah, what I'm trying to say is, is that if you have a view of humanity that people can actually dwell together, live together, and work together like that, then it's not really a foreign concept. It's not that much of a stretch. Nope. No. 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 So, so the idea I'm trying to get at here is allowing 
for God to expand the way we see things. If we're not there right now, is if you're not there, like, it's like the idea of community with a singleness of purpose and action doesn't that doesn't confuse you? Then that's not what God's speaking to you tonight, probably. All right, but He may be speaking something else to you. And there's going to be something else he's going to say. There's going to be something else he does. There's going to be something else that he brings up that, that may stretch you and that may cause a, a, a process to take place in you, a cascade in your mind where you're going to come to the end of that cascade and either say, I need to change my mind, add something new, and see things differently, or I'm going to totally ignore this. I'm going to overlook it, and I'll forget it was even said in about five minutes. And we all have the capacity to do just that. Exactly that. Just forget about it. Ignore it. Overlook it. Never happened. Some of us are better at it than others, but we all have the capacity to do it. All of us. Now those of you that have been a part of the discipleship process here, uh, one of the things that I will do almost on a weekly basis is I'll bring something up that's going to challenge a thought. Right? It could be random. <laughs> like we weren't even talking about that. And I'm going to throw this in right at the end. Because I want to continually challenge thinking so that we are used to that process taking place in our minds, in our hearts, in our spirits, and in our lives. So that we're ready to receive something new. So we have a unity being implied in the Old Testament right at the beginning. All right, Proverbs chapter 8. I'm going to need some help with this one. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 27 through 31. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made the firm, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. All right, so what do you get out of these verses? There's a couple of things I just want you to get. There's something really simple about it. Who's talking? The word. What's he called in the, these verses, though? Wisdom. Wisdom. He's called wisdom in these verses. But what is it... <laughs> What does he say? I just want you to, and I want this to just kind of sink into our hearts and our minds here. What's he, what's he doing in these verses? What's he providing for us? Yeah, he witnessed it, right? So what does that mean? If you witness something, what does that imply? You were there. You're there. 
So you have someone witnessing the actions of another, participating in the actions of another. So how many people are there? At least two. At least two. All right. The idea behind this, the description of this, is that, again, this is a community that is, has a singular action. All right? And this is just another way that that's described for us so that we can see it as that. There is not a singularity at the center of that. There's at least two. All right, and it really doesn't matter who's who. All right, can you follow me on that? There's at least two, and it doesn't matter who's who? Because it says that there's two. There's a community. We know there's three, but that at least tells us there's two. And they're in it together. They're all about the same thing. So how does this all work? Why am I even talking about this? It's Jesus, yeah. Yeah, it's Jesus. Uh, It's really sort of mysterious in a way. Because we have finite brains. And so mysterious in the sense that our finite brains aren't really comprehending the infinite. We can draw a symbol of the infinite. We can talk about the infinite. We can draw a summation that will go theoretically to the infinite. We can draw a graph that never ends theoretically that goes to the infinite. But we really can't, really can't completely comprehend what that is. And so it's kind of mysterious. Because Jesus is eternal. The Word is eternal. Divine. Creative. The world was made for Him. And so we get down to a question that people ask. What's this life all about? What's the answer? Jesus. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. So what's this life all about? Well, Jesus. Yeah. That's our opinion anyway. According to what we believe and according to what the Word of God says, this life is all about Jesus. In fact, it was, it's so all about Jesus that the whole thing's been created for Jesus and each of our lives were created for Jesus. So, what's the life all about? Jesus. That's our belief. That's our faith. That's what we have given to us in the Word. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to to draw that out of some weird place or anything. That's just what it says. And if we choose to live as believers, we choose to live as Christians, then there's a certain implication to that in our adherence to what God has said and what God has revealed. What's it all about? Jesus. Jesus. And so, all right, I'm doing premarital counseling right now with a lovely couple from our church. (laughs) And one of the things that we have to talk about sometimes in our premarital counseling is, what's it all about? 
It's all about getting married. It's all about having a family. It's all about having kids. It's all about solidifying our relationship with each other. It's all about making it legal. It's all about the uh, whatever. What's it really all about? Jesus. Jesus. And if Jesus isn't in the middle of it, what's going to happen? The same thing that happens to about 50 to 60% of them. That's what's going to happen. All right? And I'm not making that stat up. That just is what it is. <laughs> it just is what it is. So, you know, I guess that most of those 50 to 60% weren't about Jesus. Because it was more about something else. It's more about the day. It was more about the occasion. It was more about the wedding. The wedding's awesome. I love weddings. <laughs> I love them. Weddings rock, all right? I mean, like you, get, you get an hour service... And then you got this really long party after the service, usually with some pretty good food. And weddings are great. It's just the rest of it. The rest of it. After the wedding's over. That sometimes really, really gets tough. Because that's like the marriage part of it, the relationship part of it. <laughs> Great job planning the day. You got about 50 more years. What are you going to do with that? All right? You look great. Look at the pictures. All right? 50 more years. <laughs> and you're laughing because you know that's true. And I have done enough weddings to know that that's absolutely true. And so part of my you know, counseling is that, yeah. Weddings are great. Get the plans down. You're doing wonderful. All right. But you got another 40, 50 years after that to be concerned about because that's how long, if everything works out right, you're going to be with that person. And there's going to be all kinds of complications in on that. If they're young enough, kids, that's complicated. Complicated. <clears throat> stressful. Money, stressful. Buying houses, stressful. Buying cars, stressful. You lost your job, stressful. Stressful. Somebody's sick in the hospital, stressful. Kids sick, stressful. Stressful. And those stresses and all of those things that rip people apart, I don't know how you do it without Jesus. Because it's all about Him. And so if he's not what that marriage is going to be about, it's tough. It's going to be a tough time. It's going to be a tough time. You got better odds at roulette at the casino. Yeah. I hear uh, money is being described as the biggest reason marriages fail, but it's not really money issues. It's the absence of Jesus. It's Jesus issues, yeah. It's Jesus issues. Because no matter how hard the times get, if you got Jesus, you get through it. I've done a lot of counseling. Uh, I, I started out as a counselor for the Department of Labor. And I'm working with people, working with kids mainly, 16 to 21 year olds. And I've tried a lot of different kinds of counseling, but it comes right down to it. If Jesus is sitting in the middle of it, kind of wasting my time. 
and I don't mean that to put down counseling or put down anything like that. And and I know a lot of counselors just listen to people and all that. And I, I think there's an important spot for that. But if you're going to look at real life change and you're going to look at something really making a difference in a person's life, if Jesus isn't in the middle of it, then I it's wow. Yeah, I, I can't say that I've ever had any success outside of that. I, I compare it to like mortar between the bricks. You can have this great wall built and there's no mortar in the bricks and here comes a storm. It's going to fall over. The house is gone, right? Right. It's going to fall over. you got good strong mortar holds it together. Jesus is the strongest mortar we got. Yes. Bumper sticker right there. There it is. <laughs> So, so Jesus, and, and I want to make this clear before we end this. Jesus is not a cause. He's not a principle. He's not a theory. He's not a concept. He's a person. And it's all about him. And so, as a person, our life needs to be all about him. And that does mean, and this is a hard concept for people, it does mean that other people are going to take a back seat to Jesus in our lives. That's friends, that's family, loved ones. They're going to take a back seat to Jesus. Period. If we're going to keep things in order. And that's really hard for some people to hear. In fact, uh, once people get going in their families and stuff, it's almost impossible for them to hear that, what I just said. You try telling a young couple with a young family that everybody in their family is in the back seat to Jesus. They don't want to hear that. They'll give lip service, say, God, family, country, or whatever they're going to say, because we give that lip service, don't we? But when it comes right down to it, we worship, at least in good portions of our society we worship family and it is a hard thing to speak that into a young couple unless they start out that way unless they begin that relationship understanding that it's about Jesus that what they're doing together is about Jesus they're going to have kids well that's about Jesus who those kids belong to Jesus what about their lives what about their decisions they're going to make Jesus. What's the highest calling on both those kids or all three of those kids or all four or five of those kids' lives? What's the highest calling, the highest purpose they can possibly have? Jesus. What's the best thing that could ever come out of this marriage or this whatever, this relationship? Jesus. That's a hard thing to pick up later if you don't start with it. So we have... A faith, and at the perfect, at the middle of that faith, the center of that faith is a perfect, loving community Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Perfect and loving. And it has been decided that everything that we will ever be, everything that has ever been made, everything that will ever exist is going to be made for Jesus and is all about Jesus. You know, he's more than a man. 
Last verse we're going to look at. Matthew one twenty three. Matthew one twenty three. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will call Emmanuel, which means God with us. Yes, thank you. Yes, they shall call his name Matt Manuel. God with it. I mean, Emmanuel. My old buddy. So, yeah. So let's talk about beginning with Jesus. This is before he was even born. This is before anything. But this is just describing what's going to happen. Just saying, wait, wait, wait. He's not even he's not even there yet. And he already gave him a name. Now, as far as I know, he was never called Emmanuel. You know, like like that little kid that was on TV, Emmanuel. Or whoever you've known name. You ever anybody know anybody named Emmanuel? Yeah. Oh yeah, wow. Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> they love all the names of Jesus, man. <laughs> Well, there was some kid on TV years ago, Emmanuel Lewis. I don't remember that kid. He was a little kid, right? I think. So, but I mean, you know, people. But I don't think I don't know that he was ever called Emmanuel or anything. But the idea here is this: what they're trying to introduce us to is the concept of here's this kid that hasn't even been born yet. Here's this kid that doesn't even really have any physical existence yet, and they're already proclaiming to us and wants us to understand he's going to be God with us. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was it. But I can't. Was it Webster? Webster. Webster. There you go. See, between all of us, is one. You got it. You got it. Yes. Thank you, Don. And for those of you born after 1990, YouTube it. Webster. So he's God with us today. It's all about him. He's still with us. He was with us when he was a little baby. He was with us when he was a little boy. He was with us when he was an adolescent, a grown man. He, he died. He rose again. He's still with us. He was with us before all that too. And he's still with us. And it's all about him. And so as a bigger picture... In, in really staying in line with the theme of the Gospel of John, take hold of that bigger picture. Take hold of it. We, we looked at John 1, 1 through 5. You don't get to the Incarnation until John 1, 14. That's nine verses later. You find you get to the, the Incarnation, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory as the, only, the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's, that's nine verses later. All right, so we're still on a big picture of who Jesus is right here. We're still on a big picture of God, a big picture of what God's doing and what God has for each of our lives. And let God begin to expand your thinking, begin to expand the way you're seeing things, understanding things, and get ready. Get ready. I mean, God might do something. We'll be ready. 
God might say something. God might reveal something. God might do something new that we've never seen before. Be ready. Be ready. Yeah. Why, why are there groups or why people try to take Jesus out of the equation? It seems like so often like the, like religions is like trying to negate Jesus for some reason. Well, I think people like to dwell in concepts and ideas. Because it's more comfortable for us. So they just don't even think about them being a person? Nope. And or, and it's a singularity. They make him just a person. Oh, okay. And they so don't. The other parts. Yeah. And they just, he's just a teacher or a nice guy. So you, so you get both, both uh, extremes without them combined to what they are. Right. And I mean, it's, it's always easier to deceive with a grain of truth. It's just easier. And most people will accept deception that has a grain of truth in it. So whether it's deception on the one side about the concept or the idea or whatever, or it's a deception on the other side, just another guy that was a nice guy. We miss the real truth of it and, and the real teeth of who he is. And the real challenge of it's all about him. Because then that, that's the most important thing. That's the most important thing I said tonight. Is that it, we've been made for, everything's been made for him. Period. And that should affect us. That should affect our, the way we live. That should affect our decisions. That should affect everything about us. It should. If we're going to believe it. Alright. Let's pray. I'm just going to ask you to respond. And again, I say this every week, and I just want to emphasize it tonight, to respond. You respond. Give him an individual response tonight while I'm praying from where you're at. Father, thanks for uh, just speaking to us tonight. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Jesus, for being in our midst. I thank you for your teaching and I thank you for more and more understanding of who you are. For a bigger picture. Jesus, we honor you and we worship you as creator. We honor you and we worship you as it was by you, through you, and for you all things were made. And we honor you in that and we worship you in that. Thank you. I pray that each of us can respond to you as creator we can respond to you as as you're the one who made all things by you and through you you hold all things together that all these things have been made for you even us and i just ask you jesus that we can respond appropriately to that being made for you so god tonight i i ask you that you would begin to expand our understanding of what it means to live in unity. Begin to expand our understanding of what it means to move with a, a single action, a singleness of action. I pray that you begin to expand our minds and our understandings of the things that you're speaking tonight that maybe are beyond our experience, but 
are well within what you want to reveal, what you want to show, and what you want to teach us tonight. So God, all I can say is have your way. Have your way. I pray that we can just open our hearts, open our minds. And just ask you, Jesus, fill us, God. Fill us. I pray more and more revelation over us as a body of believers. And I pray, God, you do the unusual, that you would do the thing that's different. You would do the thing that is beyond our experience. You would do the thing that hasn't been done that we've ever known. But I just pray, God, that we'd be ready and open to what you want to say, what you want to do, how you want to say it, how you want to do it. And we just say, Jesus, have your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming out tonight on this beautiful evening. It's good to see everybody. And uh, thank you for being here.